Hello, and welcome to Tech 69. Uh, this is a podcast uh, trying to explore like the latest and greatest in technology. And uh, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to try to you know, kind of explore the hypotheticals on two sides. You know, what if this technology led us to a dystopian world versus what if this technology led us to like this utopian world? So we'll try to explore like the good and bad and distill like what people are saying in the conversation. I thought um, for this first episode here, uh, we'll talk about AI. Um, AI is like a really hotly talked about uh, subject, uh, particularly nowadays in in Silicon Valley, but also uh, in the presidential debates. You know, um, I was just watching uh, the Democratic debates, I think like three or four days ago, and there was this candidate named Andrew uh, Yang. And uh, he basically uh, is running on a platform to give each American uh, $1,000 a month uh, called like the Freedom Dividend. It's like UBI. And largely he's saying, um, you know, it's necessary because, you know, automation will uh, continue to just uh, automate, take away all our jobs as Americans. And without, you know, taking some of this wealth back and redistributing it, like we'll, we'll run into like this disaster scenario. So we'll, we'll look into that a little bit too. Yeah, so I think in general... Uh, when you're thinking about AI, it's important to distinguish between, you know, the two uh, the two major types, categorizations of AI right now, right? So in general, you have general AI, and then you have narrow AI. This is also sometimes called like weak AI versus strong AI, right? So general AI is typically what it kind of sounds like. It's a general intelligence, right? So this is an AI that can solve uh, a variety, a, a large host of problems. It's, it's basically what you think of when you think of you know, AI in the Hollywood sense, the, you know, iRobot with Will Smith, what else is there? Um, Ex Machina, uh, for example, like, like a um, human-like artificial intelligence or like even superhuman, for example. And I think this is what most people think of because it's so like prevalent throughout our um, popular culture. The second type of AI uh, that's more of the focus of this talk now is um, called uh, narrow AI. So narrow AI it's a hyper-specialized uh, AI that's only meant to solve a very specific problem, right? So uh, think self-driving cars. All can do is self-drive, right? Uh, image recognition in terms of like, hey, like classification, uh, facial detection, even uh, translations like Google Translate or like text-to-speech. These are all specialized, uh, narrow uh, AI. So uh, in general, uh, when you're thinking about these two fields, I think with general AI, the, the jury is still out um, on when it will be here or if it will ever be here at all. I think if you talk to the most liberal uh, technologists, they'll probably tell you somewhere within a range of like maybe 20 to 30 years or so, right? And I think if you ask really conservative people, they might even tell you that it, it might never happen at all, right? I think largely they'll, they'll cite a certain things like, uh, human biology, for example, like the brain is very complex, um, even in like the most advanced uh, of modern medicine that we have today, like your consciousness is still not like 100% like understood. For example, like there, there, this happens a lot in like medicine, like um, anesthesia, for example, that like knocks you out that like is the pinnacle of like modern surgical medicine, right? Like it's not really understood how that affects the body, why it knocks you out in such a way. And for the human consciousness, we don't even know where it comes from yet, exactly like what it really means. So unless we unlock those things, um, we won't be able to uh, achieve a general AI yet. Um, you know, this is just what maybe the conservative pundits might say. 
when we're talking about narrow AI, I think it's important to know that unlike general AI, narrow AI is basically already here. Um, it's not a matter of like when, but it's just a matter of like, like how, how far it will proliferate and affect our society. I think when we think about specialized AI or AI in general, uh, it's easy to, you know, I think project the wrong image of what AI looks like. Because nowadays, when we think about like sort of ubiquitous uh, machines or robots, we think like Roombas that can't like vacuum your floor correctly, right? We think of, you know, when you're calling Comcast or AT&T, you get like this automated phone teller and it can never recognize your voice and it sounds like completely robotic. I think a lot of that has to do with just like this buzzword going around and uh, people not being like people using that as a marketing term rather than it actually being AI. Anyways, moving on, um, the dystopian case, right? So as I was mentioning before, Andrew Yang, the, the guy, the presidential cam- candidate who's running based upon the premise that you know, AI is going to take your jobs, right? He's even saying like, how Donald Trump, one of the reasons why he won, uh, was largely due to uh, the key states in the Midwest going over, flipping over to Donald Trump because of like so many people were losing their jobs due to, to, due to automation. Some people uh, say that it's basically going to automate like 80% of jobs and some people say, you know, maybe not. I, I think the counter arguments some people bring up are, for example, uh, ATM, so, you know, automatic teller machines for, for banks, you know, where you withdraw your cash. In the 1970s is when, you know, the first ATMs rolled out. And there was actually a lot of debate and, like, columnists saying how, you know, the, the bank teller job, as we know it, was, was dead. You know, like, it was, they were just going to be replaced. And that was kind of true, but uh, not quite. When you actually look at uh, the bank teller jobs from 1970s to 2010, it actually grew, right? So we actually doubled the amount of uh, bank tellers. Uh, what ended up happening was, you know, rather than bank tellers uh, focusing on, you know, getting cash and handing it over to clients and whatnot, they can focus on other things such as like helping people start loans or, you know, set up new accounts or stuff like that. So you actually ended up having more people uh, banking and whatnot. Um, the point of the matter is like, People that are against the idea of AI, you know, taking your jobs and ruling over the world will, will point to situations like this, these, and say, like, hey, you know, like, it's, it's complicated. The, the, the macroeconomics of it is not understood super well. They'll point to things like the Industrial Revolution, how it, it helped productivity increase significantly, and it helped drive uh, more jobs in, like, the white-collar sector and whatnot. I think the... The argument against that, um, that the other side would say, is that, you know, uh, the, the industrial revolution versus like the AI revolution, it's sort of like apples and oranges. You, you can't really compare the two. Uh, whereas the industrial revolution largely made humans more efficient in the sense that it, um, it did away with uh, labor um, or it like leveraged your labor where you can push a lot more productivity with like less amount of labor, right? So you're thinking about farmers, right? Rather than having to, you know, plow a field, he or she can just, you know, ride a tractor and then do the jobs of like 150 people, right? So it leverages uh, your human labor and makes it more productive. Whereas the AI revolution, what it does is it it doesn't replace your limbs, your your labor, your manual labor, your hard work, uh, your physical work, um, but it actually replaces your mind, right? And 
without the mind, like that is sort of like humanity's last refuge, right? So once like AI can start doing things that, you know, educated people can do, like where is there left to go, right? Uh, with bank tellers, for example, let's say AI came and replaced the modern day bank teller uh, at a bank. Where would these bank tellers go now, right? Um, when they can, when, when robots can already help people with like a host of uh, different things. So I kind of agree with that, but it, it's hard to say exactly which way it will go because, you know, again, it's like super complicated, but I, I think there is a certain point to say that, you know, it, it, it's a little bit dangerous to compare, you know, the AI revolution with just like the industrial revolution or the agricultural revolution. Like each one begets like different things with different mechanics with, you know, different outcomes. So, um, you know, what's that rule in like stock trading? It's like past performances don't indicate future results or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I'd be very cautious to, to think about it that way, right? People that talk about AI in this sort of disastrous, dystopian way are quick to point to one industry in, in, in particular, and that's the, the, the trucking industry, right? So uh, the trucking industry currently has about 3.5 million truck drivers and um, 8.9 million relating to the, the, the trucking industry as a whole. And I think that doesn't include like restaurants and diners, right? So and everything in support of, of truckers. So, for example, you know, like Uber already has self-driving technology. You know, the fear is that, you know, once it's rolled out, these trucks can essentially just drive themselves like 24 hours, seven days a week without like stopping. I think today, you know, there are certain laws that prohibit truck drivers from driving more than, like, don't quote me on this, but I think like 10 to 16 hours a day. Like, there's a certain amount where they're not legally allowed to drive in more because like fatigue and like it's a dangerous scenario etc so these these robots will basically be able to outperform uh outcompete these truck drivers like hands down easily right they can drive like 24 hours a day they'll take a a lot less space they don't need breaks they don't need like food um you can probably pay them for a whole lot less too right um and then if this proliferates and if this automated truck driving becomes uh, ubiquitous in like that's just what's going to happen then think about all the other people that will lose their jobs um, that are related to the the trucking industry so for example when you know when there are no longer truckers that need pit stops like why do you need uh, restaurants or, or diners right or rest stops like that and entire like swaths of like industries will die alongside of the the trucking industry and i think like something like 22 million or something like that it, it's in the 20s of millions uh, estimated uh, to be lost due to trucking so i guess you might be wondering like okay with this being in maybe in an evability like what do we do about it right so people have talked a lot about retraining programs, right? So that's, you know, taking these truck drivers and then training them to do some other job or some other function. Um, And I think that all sounds well and good. However, there are programs right now that exist to help retrain individuals for like the the modern era and whatnot. I think it's like a lot of people in the the tech sector, like coal miners and stuff like that. I think the, the results of this is largely underwhelming, if not just downright just horrendous, right? Uh, I'll, I'll need to find kind of like the statistics on this, but I remember reading something like in these retraining programs, like sub 10% of, of the people going through it 
actually were able to be placed in a, in a job afterwards. It's just very largely ineffective. And you could kind of understand why, you know, like when you have like a truck driver or somebody that's working like a blue collar job for like tens of years, like 20, 30 years, and they're like 40 years old, 50 years old, like how can you expect to like train them to be like a computer programmer, for example, right? It's even hard enough as it is to, you know, train like 30, 40 year olds to learn computer programming, even if they're in like a adjacent skill set, you know, like if even like physicists or like mathematicians, like if you were to tell them to learn how to code at this age, having never done it before, it's incredibly difficult, right? So how can you expect like people that might not even be competent in or with experience in like STEM uh, to, to take on these tasks, right? Um, so kind of like, where does this sort of lead this? And like, what am I kind of getting to? Basically, I think one of the worst case scenarios with, with AI is just the, the amount of wealth inequality, just basically the wealth inequality, like huge wealth inequality. When you think about technology, it, 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 technology is really just a leverage for productivity, right? When you have technology, you can do the jobs of many more people and then, you know, as a result, extract more value out of like fewer people, right? So when you think of, you know, manufacturing jobs, for example, like, like GM, for example, GE, I think at one point, like GE employed like hundreds of thousands of people, right? And their market cap was, was, was really big uh, in compared to today. Like they were the, the Facebook, uh, the Google uh, of, that, of that era, right? Uh, having employed hundreds of thousands of people. Um, when you look today at companies like Google or Facebook or Amazon, they're worth way more um, than these other manufacturing companies ever did, but they employ a lot fewer people, um, maybe like an order of magnitude less. Like uh, I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head how many employees like Facebook um, employs, but it, it's in the orders of tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands as like these large manufacturing companies ever did. Um, so what ends up happening there is like, because there are fewer people that are driving the same amount of you know value on paper, um, this wealth is just concentrated uh, to fewer and fewer people. And the thing with AI is that trend will will basically continue, right? So think about like the first self-driving car company that will exist, right? So a, a lot of people are bullish on Uber because that's like sort of what they're pitching, right? They will be the first AI driving company, right? And if that's the case, then they'll basically be able to do the job of, you know, 9 million people with just maybe a hand, a relative handful of engineers, maybe just like a thousand to like 5,000 engineers can do the job of 9 million people, right? In the world of, you know, AI, you may very well see the first like trillion, like multiple trillion dollar companies, right? You might see the first like $5 trillion company, $10 trillion company, right? In the world of AI, you might actually even see the first trillionaire, right? Uh, forget like Jeff Bezos, right? If, if you're running a company uh, where you can replace like 10 million jobs with just like a handful of people, uh, that, that's going to be an enormous uh, in terms of market capitalization. So, so now like y- y- you literally might have a guy with a net worth like more, like more than most nations, right? The, with the ability to hire armies if, if they wanted to, hire mercenaries, right? Think about like the lobbying potential that this person has with like a trillion dollars. It's like basically infinite, essentially, right? Even if he were to put it in, or she, 
uh, put it in, you know, the, the S and P or something, they're, they're still probably gonna get like a net six to 8% out per year, which is like, you know, 10% of, you know, a trillion, uh, what is that? Like a hundred billion a year. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. I think the worst case for, um, you know, technology creating income inequality is, yeah, you'll, you'll end up having capitalism basically run amok. Um, you'll have these private sector companies with the power of, um, of, of countries, right? Uh, being able to uh, hire muscle soldiers to affect social policy, to affect government on like scales like never seen before, right? You'll have state capitalism, you'll have like crony capitalism, and then you'll have like this disparity between people just extremely, extremely rich and then people that are just extremely, extremely poor, just like people like starving, you know? I think in this dystopian future, it'll be something like Batman in the Dark Knight, where, you know, the Joker is just kind of showing how people's innate tendencies will, like, take over them in, in, in times of, like, desperation. And potentially with this much, like, wealth inequality, we can see legitimate, like, re- revolutions or just, like, society kind of just, like, tearing itself apart. This is a lot akin to maybe, like, the early revolutions of a you know, the 1800s, like the French Revolution and whatnot, where kind of the, the poor working class just like massacres like the, the rich upper class. We'll see what happens. But, you know, this is one of the, the grim realities, right? I think another thing about um, AI that you have to understand is like in the AI world, data is essentially wealth, right? And the price that you're paying for a lot of services um, is your privacy, right? So the currency is like privacy. I think nowadays it's it's still up for debate kind of what the the driver of AI will be, right? So I think with some computer scientists, some might say that you know data is what's going to drive improvement in AI in the future. And I think some others might say that, okay, it's not data, but it's like algorithms, right? So our advancement in algorithms will actually help us unlock, you know, better driving cars or like better prediction models and whatnot in the future. I think the latter is within the minority now, but it's still not 100% agreed upon. I think today, like unequivocally, largely what drives progress in terms of AI advancement has been data. So typically a company with more data and more computing will be able to outcompete a company, um, you know, at least in AI development, um, with less data and less computing, right? So, you know, this kind of goes back to my first point of like wealth concentration, but, you know, the companies with data like Facebook, uh, Amazon, if, if data is really what uh, will be like kind of like the oil, then these companies will be well entrenched and it'd be very, very difficult for any competitor to kind of like break in and kind of disrupt that space. I, I also think that, you know, with, with data being so important, like there, we're, we might just see like huge infringements on privacy that we've like just like never seen before, like similar to just like really that Orwellian future. For example, let's, um, let's say facial detection, right? Near-perfect facial recognition is what AI will basically allow us to achieve. We already get it, like, really, really extremely close, right? So, you know, with the iPhone and whatnot, um, I think the the error rate is, like, 1 in, like, 10 million or something, like, something obscenely ridiculous, and it's able to detect it, like, relatively fast, right? Um, That technology is just going to improve orders of magnitude better over time to where, like, the, the, the error rate will be, like, 
one in like a hundred million or one in a billion, right? It's going to be able to do that in, in the fraction of the time. It's going to be able to do that with um, much lower fidelity images within a sea of like images, right? And so, so like, sorry, w- within a sea of faces. So maybe within like an image of just like a thousand people will just be able to recognize your face like that, right? In China, we're already seeing rolling out of like social policies where you get like social currency based upon your your standing within that society, right? So if you like if you do bad things and you get caught and, and you're a criminal or whatnot, then you get that like that currency revoked uh, to the point where if you're in like a poor standing, you can't even like take the train to like different cities or something like that. You're basically under house arrest within your city or something. Uh, this is what I heard. Technologies like facial recognition and infringement on like privacy and whatnot is only going to facilitate the oppression uh, of people in like a free state. And, and that's just, that's not only on the perspective of, of the government, but also within companies as well will, I think, infringe upon your privacy. For a thought experiment, let's think about like Amazon, right? Amazon's huge. Amazon owns Whole Foods. Let's, let's say in two or three years, you're going to a Whole Foods, right? And, you know, for people that haven't been to a Whole Foods with Amazon, uh, when you check out, what you can do is you can use your your phone and scan it in with like a, a QR code, which is linked to your Amazon account. And this way you can get like uh, discounts and whatnot. But this is like a, a way for them to kind of like track you and track what you're buying and stuff like that in like the real world. It's very similar to like loyalty cards and whatnot, right? Uh, at like grocery stores, but... Anyways, let's say like you go, you you check out, you're scanning your phone and behind you is like a security camera, right? For security. Um, They'll be able to take your, uh, a photo of your face, right? And assign your face to your account. Now, Amazon has like your, your human profile, basically your, your fingerprint. And let's say, you know, there's, there's already companies out there like Nest that are doing like security cameras. Let's say like that data is shared or it's like bought and sold between them, right? Then all of a sudden, like Amazon will then know, you know, the places you frequent, the places you go, what you like to do, where you are, what you look at, um, who you hang out with, like all these things with like a snap of their fingers, right? And they'll be able to like sell you more, more stuff, you know, suggest you more things. And if there ever was a government subpoena, of course, they're going to like have to give over that information to the government. I, I, I think with advanced AI, if we don't keep that, uh, you know, in check, we can basically say goodbye to like a fair distribution of wealth and then basically say goodbye to like our privacy. Yeah, I think that's basically the dystopian universe uh, out there, the, the, the Blade Runner-esque, um, as you will.